Today's guest hails from the south of England, and as a young man was raised on tabletop RPGs and computer games, not to mention a steady literary diet of speculative fiction from authors including J.R.R. Tolkien, Robert Jordan, Dean Koontz, Clive Barker, David Eddings, and many more. Though his writerly path meandered through studies in journalism, international relations, and law, his journey to writing fiction finally manifested from the reoccurring requests from his own children that our guest recites his oft-repeated stories orated on daily walks to and from school. This path will lead him to self-publish two children's books, including Liam the Grump, as well as Captain Peg Lake and The Greatest Treasure. Children's books were just the start, as our guest's literary focus transitioned to writing adult fantasy. This evolution of tall tales and fantasy emerged as our guest's first self-published fantasy trilogy, affectionately titled The Riven Weird Saga, including Book 1, Fae the Wild Hunt, Book 2, Fae the Realm of Twilight, and the concluding volume, Fae the Sins of the Weird. After living in Canada for a bit, our guest found himself back in the UK, where he now parents a horde of children while crafting tall tales. Husband, father of four children, and Skyping in today from Kent, England, we welcome Graham Austin King to the Writer's Pit. Graham, thanks for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. It's two o'clock there in the UK. How's the weather out there today? <sighs> Cold, gray, you know, England. Ah, very nice. What we do, we're very good at cold and gray and wet. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about your uh, your writing, your fiction, uh, your marketing, your promotion. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of all that is the writing career of Graham Austin King. That's what we do here on the Writer's Pit is we talk about the details and and uh, we go into a, a little bit deeper than our regular show. That's why we kind of have the, the Writer's Pit as kind of a, a an opportunity to uh, dive into those nooks and crannies of the writerly profession and hopefully um, inspire and encourage other writers and creators out there to um, maybe take some advice from, uh, from pros like yourself who are out there um, um, working it. So uh, let's dive in first and let's talk about your fantasy series. Now, what I wanted to do first off was maybe paint for you a, a situation perhaps where you're riding an elevator with perhaps an agent or two and you wanted to maybe pitch your series and you have maybe 10 or 15 seconds to tell them about uh, the Sins of the Weird or, or the, uh, the Riven Weird saga, so to speak. So if you had 15 seconds to tell me about this series, what would you say? Well, the Riven Weird Saga is a trilogy um, basically telling the tale of the return of the Fae to a world that's forgotten them. It's an epic fantasy written over several points of view with disparate storylines which intersect and then all come together in the end. Uh, you get to see the beginning of a war from both sides of the conflict, you get to see some political scheming and infighting on both sides. There's a fair amount of that kind of politics in the story, actually. Um, I'm just going to go way past 15 seconds and trap this guy in the corner and talk him until he signs everything I want. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see the rise of a new world religion, and of course we get to see the return of the Fae. Um, the Fae are, well, they're a myth, they're a fable, they're a bedtime story. Nobody actually thinks they're real. And when the barrier that's kept them locked out of the world fails, then mankind has to learn to cope with that. Uh, ultimately, I guess that's what the book and the series is about, whether or not and how mankind can come to accept that the Fae are a greater threat than the, the disparate nations fighting. It's not really um, your stereotypical fantasy, if there is such a thing. There's no Dungeons and Dragons-style party of adventurers. There's no magic to speak of, not for the humans in the book anyway. The Fae have their own kind of magic. It's more about ordinary people having to cope with extraordinary situations now sign this right here <laughs> <laughs> all right well very interesting so it's a it's a fantasy trilogy now the, do the books have to be read in order yeah definitely it, it's a trilogy in the in the original sense of the word because it's it's one story written in, in three books rather than a series where you've just got one overarching 
uh, story that sort of ties the books together. You read these out of order, it won't make any sense at all. What is it about fae fairies in particular that inspired your series? I guess I wanted to get back to the original notion of fairy tales before Disney got their hands on them and covered them all in saccharin and made them all sweet and sugar and sweetness and light. Going back to the, the sort of Middle Ages thought of, uh, of fairies and small people and things like that. These were the things that went bump in the night. These were the things that we were terrified of. This is the, the original reason we used to nail their horses shoes up for luck. It's got nothing to do with luck. It's just the cheapest wine you can get your hands on to keep these bastards away. And of late... It seems that the notion of fairies is, uh, has become something, you know, they're all benevolent. Well, not mine. Mine are <laughs> anything but benevolent. So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember running across a book, uh, a Raymond E. Feist book called Fairy Tale, which I never read, but the concept was kind of called cool. It's set somewhere in America, I think it's urban fantasy, where you've got fairies coming back into the world and they're, they're into this world and they're, um, they're not all as, uh, as nice as people thought. And that kind of stuck with me and just sort of festered away in the back of my head. And then out of that came this idea, transporting that to, a, to an empty fantasy setting and have, uh, have the fae getting in the way of, uh, of an international conflict and see how that all plays out. So now that you've uh, officially finished the series, are there plans to continue writing in the world for your next book? The next book, um, I'm taking a break from, from the world of Haven. I need a sort of a, like a palate cleanser type idea. And I was going to write something nice and simple, just a, a sort of dungeon creep um, hack and slash book. That's what it was supposed to be. But it's, it's becoming more and more complex by the day. So that's all gone out the window. Um, in terms of returning to the same world that the Riven Weird Saga is in, I'm going to do, I'm certainly going to do a novella covering Kloss, uh, who's one of the characters from the book. And I have some plans for some other stuff in, in another part of the world, but nothing that I've started on yet. Do you have any sort of like articulated release schedule for that, or is that just sort of no. 2017? Look, or? Yeah, no, that's just um, festering in the back of my head somewhere. I don't really have a release schedule on that at all. I haven't put pen to paper on it. It's just something I plan to do it in the, in the future. You mentioned the, that the story is getting more complex as as you go. I think that's something that some writers may have difficulty with a lot of times is that they, they, they come up with a simple idea that they want to convey. And then as they start world building or doing whatever, it gets more and more kind of twisted and tangled and shit, what the hell am I doing kind of thing. <laughs> How do you deal with that kind of progression from you want to do a simple story to it becoming more complex? How do you kind of troubleshoot and get get on the right path? It's, it's head against a brick wall time, really. I mean, this this one, because the last series was so complicated, you know, you've got different points of view, it's multi-layered, there's so much stuff going on in those three books. I wanted something just, you know, written from one character's point of view and keep it relatively simple. And um, it has just, the concept is becoming more convoluted. I like, especially um, stuff like the Wheel of Time books, there's a lot of stuff in there that's, that's not explained, that's left up to the reader's imagination to figure out. And I like that time, that kind of stuff. I like having stuff going on in the background that the reader's just sort of mulling over in their head. And that's what's happened with this. There's nothing especially complicated happening to the character, but there's things happening around him and in the story that uh, that are not going to be explained, that are just fun things to have rolling around in your reader's heads. So, yeah, it becomes more complicated that way. And, and I guess the way I deal with it is that it's just endless rewrites. You've got to go back and make sure everything makes sense. And I had so many problems with that with, uh, with the Riven Weird Saga because I have disparate timelines going on. I have the passage of time is faster in the realm of the Fae than it is in the, in the real world. And it's just, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just things you have to cope with. And it's, it's, it's searching to, to make sure everything ties up in terms of continuity and so on and so forth. 
I don't think that there's any one way to do it. All you've got to do is just go back and over and over and over and make sure it does make sense. That's where beta readers come in as well, I guess. And how would you say your editorial process um, evolved over the, the span of the trilogy? Did it did it transform between writing book one all the way to book three? Yeah, it, it transformed in, in the worst way possible. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's like learning to drive a car. We'll get in and we'll, 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 first we'll try this with our eyes shut and then we'll try it with our hands in our pockets and then we'll try it facing the wrong direction. I've been through so many editors I can't count. The problem with me, I guess, was that I was A, very green, and B, uh, very self-published. So I was out there looking for editors, and it's very easy to find editors online. They, you know, they say they're editors, but <laughs> anyone can say they're an editor. <laughs> so I've been picking up typos and things like that for years, which is very annoying. Um, now, by the time I got through to book three, then uh, I, I find that I'm doing an awful lot more rereading myself and rewriting myself and tweaking and, and I also changed the, the writing software that I was using. I wrote the first book on basically on a word clone and uh, I got through to a book halfway through book two, I think, and transferred over to something called Scrivener, which is fantastic because it allows you to, to drag scenes and whole chapters and just move them from one place in a book to another. You can see the whole of the book in its entirety rather than just seeing walls of text. And uh, that helped enormously with uh, with the plotting and with uh, editing and, and fixing things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Scrivener has emerged as I think the the go to software for um, authors working today. Um, in in most capacity, I think most people are using that. I think Sanderson still is still rocking MS Word at this point. Um, but uh, on the whole, I think uh, Scrivener has been uh, emerging as the the software to go to. Uh, what other tools do you uh, utilize in your writing process? Not a lot, really. I mean. Uh, I do my research as I go along for a lot of things. I, I, the background, uh, the misspent youth playing role-playing games gives you a lot of uh, stuff with regards to weapons and you know the things that you're supposed to know, sort of. So I, I have a rough knowledge that I then just go straight to Google and, and pad that out when I need to. Uh, other than that, then I use Scrivener. I use written notes, but most of that's Transformer as well. More and more, I'm, I'm typing straight onto the computer. Um, I don't have a great big whiteboard set next to me. I don't have maps on the walls or anything like that. It's all very, very minimalist. You mentioned finding an editor has been a little tough to find someone that jobs for someone starting out and they want to be a, an indie author. They need to find, usually they need to find a cover artist. They need to find an editor. Um, people mm-hmm. usually try to balance it out. Like some people may skimp, skimp on editing in order to get a really kick-ass cover or they may yep. do the cover themselves and yeah. do kind of a shitty job in order to get a kick-ass <laughs> editor. So what would you kind of suggest would, would be best for someone just first starting out? They have a they have a budget. They want to get a decent editor and they want to get a, a decent cover art and make do with what they have. You know, I don't really know because I did it a very different way. Um, I, I was lucky enough to find my cover artist. It was reckon, recommended to me through uh, another author that I knew uh, via Facebook. I sort of got, got myself involved in, uh, in uh, a sort of indie author group on Facebook, and we were chatting about the various things, various ways to do things, various ways to find editors and so on and so forth. And I looked at her cover art and said, who did that? And uh, she referred me over to, to this guy that I use, uh, Vin Hill. 
um, who who did books one and two of my series. He was amazing, actually. He's a very, very talented guy. Got poached by Ubisoft and ended up working for them in Japan. So he couldn't do book three. So I had to find someone else to do book three because they had an exclusivity clause. He wasn't allowed to do his own stuff outside of, of the work he was doing for them. And um, I ended up with Carl Ellis, who did the work on book three and had to sort of match Vin's style, which cannot have been easy. He did a very good job there. Uh, in terms of finding, finding editors, I'm probably not the best person to ask because, as <laughs> I said, I've used so many. I have used other authors to help them proof stuff before, which works well in some cases, not well in others. Uh, this last book, because of the problems I had with the, the small publisher as well at the time, I had to scramble to find an editor for that. And uh, I actually got Tim Markowitz from Ragnarok did the editing for me on this one um, just as a favor but I would dearly love to get a, a long-term professional editor uh, on the side and uh, just someone that you can carry on working with I don't know yeah. how you would go about yeah I don't know how you'd go about finding someone that you know is uh, is, is top-notch I mean you can go on Twitter or on Facebook or, or just on Google and find a million people that profess to be editors but until they've actually done it you don't know if they're any good so is it kind of like uh, joining one of these like Cupid sites and trying to find the match the love connection match. I mean, I mean, everybody wants, if you're an indie writer, you want to have your stable in a way. You want to have your, your editor that you can go to. You want to have your cover artist that you can go to. I, I know indie writers don't want to go through this process every time they write a book. Like, okay, I have to find a new cover artist or I have to find a new editor. No, definitely not. But then, I, I, but then my long-term plan was never to be an indie writer. You know, my, my goal from the get-go was to, to try and, do the same thing that people like Andy Weir and David Dalglish have done is that to sell enough books and make yourself known enough that you can get yourself signed and go with with one of the bigger houses, and then you don't have to do, have to deal with finding editors and you don't have to deal with uh, having a hundred percent of the marketing stress on on your own shoulders. You're probably right. It it is uh, very much hit and miss, and, and you're right. Definitely nobody wants to have to search for a new editor and a new. Uh, proofreader and someone to do the formatting every single time you put something out but finding someone that i can work with perfectly in terms of editing every single time has, has been a bit of a problem so since you've gone the indie indie route with your last series is there are there any plans to find an agent or go with a traditional publisher for your next book i haven't got firm plans for it at the moment i'm just going to concentrate on getting the thing written and then we'll go from there uh, i tried to get uh, Faye the Wild Hunt traditionally published, but I am the most impatient person on the planet, <laughs> and uh, I, I sent that out to agents before it was ready, really, to be looked at, and shot myself in the foot tremendously there, so I will hold my hands up and say I fucked up. But, um, <laughs> yeah, most definitely, because the other problem is is that there are many, many agents and um, publishing houses that will not even look at a book once it's already out there in the self-published arena. And once it's previously published, they're not interested. So I probably shot a lot of uh, shut a lot of doors in my own face, having put the book out there as well. Now that I've got this this trilogy out and it's out there doing its thing, then I'll finish this next one and uh, and see if I can get some agents to have a look at it. And if not, then we'll we'll carry on doing what we're doing. So you ventured between self-publishing and small press publishing, but currently you are just going the self-publishing route. What advice would you have for uh, folks who would want to publish with a small press publisher uh, instead of indie publishing? I guess it depends what stage they're at, because if they're already self-published, then they need to be asking themselves the question of, of, of what it is that a small press can do for them that you know they're not already doing themselves. Mark Applin on Fantasy Faction raised this a couple weeks ago, did a, a big article on this. And if you are already self-published, then assume you've done it properly, then you've already gone and you've found your, your beta readers and your editors and your cover artists and someone to format your interior. So what is it that the small press is going to do for you that you're not already doing yourself? It's going to come down to, to marketing and getting your book some exposure and hopefully on 
bookshelves and shops. And if they can't do that, then really you're just you're, you're signing royalties away for well for nothing, I guess. If on the other hand you are completely starting out and you're not self-published of any in any way at all, then a small press potentially could be the way to go if it's if it's a good small press because then they can help you with the editing and the exposure and everything else that you haven't like uh, like phil said you don't you're not going to have to get that stable of people together to produce uh, a good piece of work there are many many small presses out there and you know there's no qualification for saying you are a, a small press i could open up something tomorrow and say i'm a small press um, I suppose actually small press is probably a misleading term because I won't be publishing anything, well, not printing anything anyway, um, a small publishing house, whatever. But finding one that's, that's, that's kosher, I suppose definitely look into the track record, find out how long they've been around, look at what I look at the books they've produced already, how are those books faring, or go it alone. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to you know check out the publisher's website, see see what books they have out there. Yeah, and check out the... Um, the Science Fiction Writers of America have something called Writers Beware, uh, which will yeah. list off the, um, the, the the more dodgy small presses that have had some, uh, some some bad interactions with authors. Uh, there's other websites out there. I think Absolute Right is another one. Do your research, basically. I mean, the thing is, is that when you get to that stage, this is not about writing. This is about business. And mm-hmm. you need to, to do your due diligence and make sure that the people you're going to be signing contracts with can, pro- can provide what it is that you're uh, what you're looking for. And you recently had a BookBub. Tell us a little bit about that BookBub experience and maybe explain it and break it down for us a little bit for maybe folks who aren't familiar with what BookBub is. From a reader's perspective, BookBub is uh, essentially a mailing list. You will go to their site, you'll sign up for free and say that you're interested in a particular genre and give them their email address. And then usually every day, actually, they will send you an email with the books that they have uh, that are discounted or possibly even free. Uh, on Amazon or whatever website that you're going through with Barnes & Noble, what have you, and you'll get that email out to you. It's not just small presses or self-published people that use this. The Big Five use this. The, I think Peter V. Brett was on there just a couple of days ago, actually. From a writer's perspective, it's it's gold dust because they have probably the biggest mailing list out there. It's, it's numbered in the millions. Um, they are very selective over who they accept so that the people signing up to them know that they're getting quality stuff through. It's extremely hard to get into them. I managed, luckily, to get the first book of my trilogy onto BookBub back in September, I think, of 2014. And I've been trying ever since to get back in again. That's how selective they are. They usually take about one in ten applications. And so this recent one went out. I was uh, I put book one of my trilogy out on a, a free download for one day on the 15th. And we had, I think, 37,000 downloads that day uh, worldwide. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, if it was paid, I'd be laughing, wouldn't I? But uh, that was a free download. That, I mean, it's not free. Obviously, they charge the uh, the authors for doing this. Um, I've made back what I paid and, and then some, and I've got some fantastic exposure. Uh, the, the question is, I've never I've never done a free download before like that, so I don't know how many of that 37,000 people will ever read it. There are a lot of uh, book hoarders out there who stick things on their Kindle and they'll just stay there forever. Um, but, you know, we're running the odds here, so it's uh, it's definitely the right kind of exposure. It's the best kind of exposure. The unfortunate thing is that, as far as I'm aware, they, BookBub doesn't really have a real competitor, not to the same level that they are anyway. They own the show. So it's it's them or someone much, 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 much smaller that won't give even a, a tenth of the exposure that BookBub can do. So that's why everyone wants in. 
what would you say is the the bar that you have to hop over as far as it comes to BookBub and, and what what qualifications are they specifically looking for to accept that application? God, nobody knows. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> nobody knows. They 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 list uh, you know they they want uh, a minimum number of reviews. I think they uh, they want your book to be free of. Uh, gratuitous typos, decent cover art, formatted properly, you know, not not written in crayon and then scanned, basically, is what they say. Um, but other than that, no one has any clue. Well, you know, you, you need to strike deals with the devil and do satanic rites in basement <laughs> to figure out what the what it is they do to get people. Like I said, I've been trying to get in since September 2014, and I've been applying every month, and I've seen things go out that you look at it and you think, well, that got in. Where the hell am, am I not in? But uh, no, I have no idea. I have no idea. So, Graham, would you say BookBub is a satanic cult? <laughs> uh, you said that. <laughs> would, you like to, would you like to go on record as saying that? Uh, not today, oddly. Not today, okay. Not today, okay. I didn't say that either. This is going to be edited out of the show. <laughs> Thank God for that. The black helicopters are circling. Yeah, yeah. Say. There's things in the post. You actually have pretty awesome ratings. I was going through uh, your Goodreads and your Amazon. People, a lot of people like your book a lot. Um, and But you recently got a one-star review. It's not my first one-star review, to be honest. Oh, okay. <laughs> it sounds better if I say it is. It's my first one-star review on Amazon.co.uk, I think. <laughs> well, so I, we can go with that one, but no, I've had others. You can't please everybody. Not everybody's going to like every single book, so that's fine. Um, yeah. This one... Uh, pissed me the hell off <laughs> she clearly had uh, some kind of problem when she got the book whether she got it on free download on that day or whether she bought it i don't know and it didn't come through to her fire so she gave her kindle fire so she gave it one star and said that uh, it wasn't delivered to her kindle fire that was her review um i actually don't personally send the book out to each individual person oh down. okay <laughs> and I say, yeah i know i'm a bit of a slacker like that. i should be doing that but you know, i just should just pull my socks up and get on with shit, I suppose. But I'm too busy pretending to write books and chasing kids. <laughs> but no, that that pissed me the hell off. But that's the problem with um, with having open source, well, having open reviews like that. You know, anyone can put one star on anything. So, do you usually read uh, reviews? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I should stay well away. Uh, it's it's not good for your sanity. But what can I say? And as far as your writing process, give us an idea of what maybe a daily word goal and are you a, a pantser or a planner and uh, what's your typical writing day look like? I do have a set writing goal, but I'm, I'm very strange between books. Uh, when I finish a book, then I almost have to, I have to take like a six weeks off for my brain to recover. And then I almost have to learn to write all over again. So my, my word count beginning of that process again is minuscule. I'll be lucky to get 500 words a day. Um, normally it builds up. I'm, I, I have a goal of 2000 words a day and I don't stop until I've got it. Uh, that can take, if I'm lucky, a couple of hours. I can take all day if I'm not. Uh, some days I don't do it at all. Typical writing day, I guess, they get the kids out the door. And then uh, I have this funky little app on my computer that will block out all internet for me for a set amount of time because I have no self-control either. So I need to block so I can't access the internet and spend all day looking up, you know, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, yeah it is it's called stay focused and uh, and every time you try and go on a website it pops up and says shouldn't you be working which is kind of cool but yeah I try to bang out 2,000 words a day I do it in sprints of uh, about 30 minutes that's the, the longest I can go without having to look something up or check something uh, so I do four stretches of half an hour over the day and, uh, and we see where we go from there I've had days where I've done 6,000 words I've had days where I've done 300 words today I've done nothing so you know <laughs> I blame you Right. Sorry. <laughs> as far as uh, I, I know, sometimes people 
you mentioned you kind of hit a wall on your current project, uh, but you're going to continue rewriting to kind of sort all that out. Uh, what makes you decide to actually tackle a project when you, you, you know, authors are constantly bombarded by uh, evil uh, idea fairies? I guess that's the evil, <laughs> the, evil, the evil kind of fae bother you all the time and like, hey, why don't you write yeah, this idea? Shit, yeah. What makes you decide to, to say, OK, this is the next project I'm going to complete? This one was not supposed to be a book. This was supposed to be a novella. And uh, it was just supposed to be a, a little, I don't know, maybe 30,000 words thing. And there's no way I can write the story that's now sort of drifting around my skull in, in 30,000 words. So it will probably be a full-size novel of about 120,000. The goal being that it's a, it's a standalone. Because I guess my last one was with the trilogy. It'd be nice to do something that's just smaller and ends and everybody's happy. The inspiration for this was uh, a graphic that was doing the rounds on uh, on Facebook, and uh, it just sort of called to me. Um, it, was, uh, it was sort of like a dwarven paladin type idea, beating the shit out of some zombies. The idea was that the, the idea of the book was going to be um, the, the, an eruption of, of zombie type things in the dwarven home, and only one guy survives, and he's a coward to start with in the first place, and how the hell do we, we fix this situation? It's sort of completely morphed away from that now. I don't even know if they're still dwarves anymore. Um, but <laughs> but the, the concept has, has got much more complicated and it's uh, it's got a lot more soul-searching in it, I guess. There's a lot more dark shit going on in his head. and Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. But it, it, it's also interesting the ways that you, you start with a simple idea and things just totally derail it and, uh, and you go off into weird tangents. That can be dangerous at times. But, <laughs> but yeah... Um, I've no idea. In terms of what projects I, I choose to do, it, it depends how long it, it molds around in my head. Because you're right, I do get ideas all the time. But I had ideas for the three other novellas that I was going to do in, in the, the World of Haven that are still sort of bouncing around, but nothing concrete enough to make me want to sit down and, and put hands to keyboard and, and, and start pumping stuff out. The biggest problem for me, I guess, when writing is that very often I know where I want to end up. I know the beginning of the story and the end of the story. It's that pesky, annoying part in the middle that, you know, you have problems with. So it's very often I get a, a, almost, almost like a writer's block, but it only lasts about three, four days. And um, the odd thing about it is the way that I beat it is I'll, I'll, I'll go for a walk and I'll be talking to myself walking down the street looking like a complete freak, um, trying to talk my way through this, this storyline. And in the end, I come down and I, I sit down and I just write. And it's shit. It's complete and utter crap. But the more crap I stick out there on the page, then you can you can go back and you can polish it and you can take out the tiny little good particles that are mixed in there and, and turn it into something worth reading. And I could have done that in the first place without the four-day wait and talking to myself looking like a freak walking down the road. But oddly, it takes that, that process first before I can actually sit down and put shit on the page. So who knows? Well, it's definitely an interesting concept. You have, uh, I'm assuming the dwarves are underground and dealing with zombies and being underground adds that claustrophobia in a way like yeah i mean like i said it, it, it's still very much um a sort of proto concept in the moment because as i said i'm not entirely sure they'll even stay dwarves they might be be humans they might i had this sort of funky idea where i thought let's let them be dwarves but not tell anybody that they're dwarves because they're the only race that exists in which case why would we label them dwarves they're just <laughs> you know they're just whatever these guys <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's nothing to compare them with. So, you know, on that basis, we could be dwarves to someone else. Who knows? But yeah, the claustrophobia idea and, and the dark 
problem with it with the concept was light because i didn't want to go with um something as simple as just having perfect vision in darkness because that was just too obvious and simple but if this mine goes down forever then you can't rely on uh, on fire because then you'll get fire damp coming off the coal and things blowing up and that's just not good and besides where the hell are you going to get all this wood and whatever to, to burn torches constantly so i had to sort of puzzle my way through that there's also I'm building in a, a kind of funky Easter egg to uh, the Riven Weird saga as well. There, there might possibly be a connection there that I'm sort of toying mm. around with. It's, the problem is, because of the way I wrote the Riven Weird saga, that it sort of slowly unfolds over the three books, and it's a very slow reveal. And half the stuff you think you, you've... Well, half the stuff that is revealed turns out to be wrong anyway. And because of that, it's very hard not to give stuff away when I'm talking about it and ruin the entire series of people. So when I say that there's, uh, there's a crossover, potentially, unfortunately, I can't say any more than that without ruining an entire trilogy for people. So <laughs> I'll just shut up. <laughs> well, we're just about out of time, but let's just talk briefly for a moment about uh, your marketing and promotion. What's, what's your current marketing plan of attack and what uh, social media platforms are you utilizing to get your name out there? You're, um, you're making the assumption that I have have any kind of, of plans that's, that's the problem i think or you know have any control over what happens on a given day i am on facebook because well i'm on facebook i'm i'm on twitter but i don't really know how it works and i don't actually think that anybody does i think it's all a big lie <laughs> i actually have this theory that there's only about five twitter users and the rest is all fake and it just scrolls up the screen <laughs> and i found uh, something called reddit about a ooh, about a year and a half ago that mark lawrence got me involved in uh, there's, a, there's a Reddit forum, uh, Reddit Fantasy, which is extremely cool. That's uh, filled with people who are interested in the fantasy genre in books and in movies and, and what have you. So I spent a fair amount of time on there chatting and, and so on and so forth. I don't really have any real marketing plan. I guess the thing is there are 100 million self-published writers out there doing the equivalent of standing on a street corner screaming, buy my book, buy my book. And it's extremely annoying. So I've I've stopped anything of that nature. Um, I've run ads on on BookBub and uh, I've tried just about every other advertising thing going, Amazon ads and uh, and Goodreads ads and so on and so forth. Um, I think I'm just going to concentrate on putting quality books out there. And at some point, either I will see if I can get myself signed to another publisher or I'll look into getting a, a publicist, which is something I'm, I'm considering now. But social media wise, I just use social media the way I've always used social media. I, I was that guy standing on the street corner screaming, buy my book. And I think I irritated a lot of people. So I've learned the hard <laughs> way to shut the fuck up and just write. <laughs> Well, one thing we've talked about before on the show is that just being present, not even having to say I've got a book for sale, but being involved in those forums like our fantasy uh, and Facebook and just rubbing elbows with uh, with readers and writers alike is marketing in itself where you don't have to say, you know, I've got a book for sale, but uh, people will acknowledge you for your expertise. And hey, by the way, I write books. Um, so yeah, I mean, just just being out there is is a form of marketing. Uh, but y you don't have, say, a set aside time during the week where you're just going to go intentionally go out to, to market? No, no, not really. No. Um, I, I will do that. But uh, it, it's it's not planned. It just sort of happens. You know, again, I've got no control over over anything that happens. So I would recommend you get on a, a really awesome podcast. Yeah, I, I should good. do that. Do you know any? <laughs> I am not aware. If I find one, I will I will let you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to get onto a good podcast because, you know, they, they can really help, apparently. Would you like to go on record as saying Twitter is a satanic cult? <laughs> Twitter is very clearly a satanic cult, but there are only five cultists involved because it's only five people with Twitter accounts. 
One it's of all, them, I think. It's all Illuminati. Kanye West. Yeah, Kanye West is pretty active. <laughs> so the key to marketing is the Kanye West to retweet your your novels if you can. The, the, the key to marketing is to get Kanye West to, to write a one star review of your book and then tweet <laughs> then tweet the link. Well, it definitely sounds like you've had a uh, an interesting path of publication so far with uh, your voyage through. Um, self-publishing and then small press publishing and then back again and various uh, uh, marketing attempts, book bubs and, and whatnot. Um, as an author, what, is there anything that you would say to the past Graham Austin King before you started your trilogy and from where you are now? Is there any lessons that you would impart to your past self to apply to today? I just slow down, I think. There's no real, no real rush to get a book out. The problem is, is that if you're self-published, no one ever says... That's it. It's done. It's going out. Whereas if you're traditionally published and someone out there has a publication deadline. So you have to say you have to reach a point where you just decide, right, that's that's good enough. That's as, as that's as good as I can produce this book. And now it's going to have to go out there and you have to let go because otherwise you could go back and you could revise and rewrite and tweak till the end of time. That said, I think I did go too quickly. I released too quickly. And uh, I think that um, had I the time over, then I would uh, probably have slowed down and um, possibly written all three books together before I put them out. But who knows? Interesting. Give me a time machine. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll get Terminator to show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Austin King, come with me. Okay, so Faithless is the uh, novel you're working on now? Faithless is the, the working title of, uh, of the novel that I'm working on, yeah. That could change too. Excellent, excellent. Well, Graham Austin King, for folks who want to find you online, where can they uh, track you down? Oh, they can find Google. <laughs> they can find me on uh, on Facebook. On uh, I'm one of the, the five guys on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Reddit Fantasy, as I mentioned, or you can check out my website, which is uh, just Graham Austin-King. And, uh, and yeah, I'm there. Thanks, Graham, for stepping into the writer's pit. It was great to get your uh, perspective. Always awesome to talk to uh, you folks from the UK. We've had Peter Newman, Joe Abercrombie. Uh, we're going to have Mark Turner on the show as well. But uh, every time, we, it's a classy discussion. So <laughs> thank you for taking the time to come on. And thank you for having me. Uh, well, this has been another edition of The Writer's Pit. Uh, you can find out more on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast or hit us up on Twitter. We are one of the five uh, satanic cultists. Uh, that's Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. The secret is out. It's at Grim Dark Fiction is where you can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Philip Overby, thanks for uh, joining me again today, sir. Always a fantastic discussion. Yes, and please ignore all mentions of uh, satanic cults. I'm not affiliated yeah. with any of these cults. No. And it's neither is... a small is... cult. It's a very prestigious cult, and we don't want you in. So, sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. If we could shut Rob up, so, you know, stop him advertising this cult that was supposed to be quite select, then that would be cool. Cat is out of the bag, people. Yeah, you ruined it. <sighs> and everyone, uh, make sure to watch out for any evil idea fairies out there. Snipe them. <laughs> Snipe them with a rubber band, if you see. <laughs> <laughs> podcasting.